I'm Lee Crevat, and each week I publish a new episode with a new climate champion as my guest. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at www.crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Gerald Kootenay, Managing Director at Sixth Element Sustainable Management. But more importantly, at least from the climate champion's perspective, he's the creator of hashtag climate brawl. Gerald spends many, many hours a day on Twitter fighting the good fight, or should I say the good brawl, defending social media from climate denier propaganda, ensuring that science and facts rule the day. And speaking of facts, COVID is on the rise again, so please be careful out there, and please remember we're all in this together. While being cautious and alert, please be supportive and kind. Also, take the time to thank the people that are taking personal risks to keep our world moving forward. And if you are one of those people, thank you very, very much. Dr. Kootenay has a PhD in chemistry and executive experience as VP, senior VP, chief operating officer, president, and CEO in the corporate sector, as well as leading and consulting with entrepreneurial enterprises in the bioeconomy and renewable energy sector. Currently, he has his own consulting firm, Sixth Element, which specializes in helping entrepreneurs make their bioeconomy projects a success, and he volunteers as a mentor for MBA students at the University of Ottawa. And for the past decade, he studied the politics of climate change, has published a peer-reviewed book on the subject, and has created hashtag climate brawl. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Dr. Gerald Kootenay, Managing Director at Sixth Element Sustainable Management and creator of Climate Brawl. Gerald, welcome to The Climate Champions. Happy to be here. Can you talk about your motivating moment with regards to engaging in climate change? Yeah, I think it happened a little over a decade ago. I was working in the bioeconomy, and I was looking for opportunities for developing new projects and to help projects for climate change. And I began to wonder why the government hadn't done more to push for projects that would reduce greenhouse gases. And that led me into studying what had anyone really done about policies on climate change. And that led me to a study of the Kyoto Protocol and how different governments had responded to it. Out of all this, I sort of ended up suddenly being interested in the politics of climate change. So you started out as focused on the science, and this really moved you to politics. Science and the business side. Okay. There was no real help out there. Things were moving really slow. There were some interesting technologies, but they weren't going to fly on their own. And the first thing I noticed is that when I started looking into the so-called politics of climate change, I could find very little was ever written about it. There wasn't much for me to read, and so I felt I had to sort of create my own. And that led me to write a book I prepared uh, about five years ago on essentially the politics of the Kyoto Protocol. And why is climate change mitigation personal to you? I strongly believe in the science. I'm a scientist by training. I have a tendency to, when science says something bad is going to happen, most of the time I'll believe them. And... What we're seeing is that science has been saying for decades that climate change is bad, 
and we keep on putting off doing anything serious about it. And to me, that's scary. When you meet people that don't believe that climate change is real or don't believe the data, since you say you do, how do you convince them that this is something very important? If someone's very adamant, it's very hard to convince them. You know, you've seen what I do on Twitter. Most of the time I'm dealing with hardcore climate deniers. But with more normal people is, most people don't deny science in general. They believe the Earth revolves around the sun, not the sun around the Earth. They believe in atoms. They believe that we live in a solar system. And so science is science. And so it doesn't matter if it's climate change or it's the atomic theory or the heliocentric theory or the theory of evolution. It's still science. I'm not one for arguing the details of the science because no one ever wants to hear that. But try to get them as, why don't they believe in the science? I look at it, it's not for me to convince them that they should. I'm looking for them to think about why they don't. And I think when you have that sort of discussion, a lot of reasonable people will start to think, well, geez, maybe I should start believing in this. How has the pandemic changed what you're focusing on right now? Me personally, not a lot. There's a lot of talk out there about the pandemic influencing climate change and clearing up the skies and stuff like that. This is a very short-term thing that's having a really a minor effect when it comes to climate change. The COVID-19 is not a minor issue by any case, but there's no lasting effect going beyond climate change out of this, unfortunately. There's two things I look. The most high-profile climate denier in the world is Donald Trump. Hopefully, since he mismanaged this, as he mismanaged everything else, there's more of a chance he will lose the election on November 3rd. We will all gain by that, even though I'm Canadian, I'm not American, we will still all gain. Another thing that it introduced was the so-called flattening of the curve. I had never really heard people talk about that before, but that is a real interesting concept. And what it is, is that something bad is happening and is growing exponentially. Well, that was in particular a thing to the new cases of COVID. But applies to anything that bad is happening that's growing exponentially. And when you're talking about climate change, that is a direct comparison to what's happening with the CO2 levels in the atmosphere. And that's plotted by the so-called Keeling curve. And if we're ever going to stop climate change, that is the curve that we have to flatten. And it's way more important long-term to flatten that curve than any other. I've spent a lot of time trying to convince people that one of the things that are wrong with our plans to mitigate climate change is that we make our deadlines a good deal out into the future. And meanwhile, we're putting all this carbon into the atmosphere now. So really, if you take it out now, you get the benefits every single year of not putting it in now. So really, the sooner we can start getting it out, the sooner we can start to conserve energy and use cleaner resources, it has a multiplying effect year by year. Well, to carry on what you're saying, also the opposite is true. Every second we wait, it becomes harder, more deadly, more expensive to treat it. And the one thing that people are Confused about climate change, you know, people often talk about this one and a half degrees Celsius increase to two degrees Celsius increase in temperature. And we got to prevent, and that's the basis of Paris, by the way, that we have to stop that from happening. But what people forget or don't really understand to begin with, let's say we hit one and a half or two degrees. It still keeps on getting worse. This isn't a plateau. There's no plateaus here. 
it keeps on getting worse forever until we stop the CO2 levels from going up. Whether we do it now or we do it in 10 years, and again, as long as we wait, it's going to be worse and it's going to be more expensive to prevent. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about what happens at two degrees, but we don't talk a lot about six degrees. That's sort of the problem with talking about temperatures. Like to an average person, what's one or two degrees? It varies by 10, 20 degrees per day. The temperature is is relatively small, but when you're talking about changing the temperature of an entire planet, that's actually a mind-boggling concept. Mankind has never changed the temperature of an entire planet before. It's sort of like terraforming, except we're terraforming the Earth, which really we're not supposed to do. Well, certainly not in a way that makes it prohibit our being here. That's a mistake. Exactly. But the most important thing to keep in mind about climate change, the temperature rise itself can cause serious damage. But a much greater damage is caused by the changes in the climate because it's much more far-reaching. And so you have this double whammy. The so-called global warming part, yeah, that could cause massive flooding and coastal zones and all that sort of thing. But the actual temperature rise doesn't affect us directly that much. You know, we can get over that, but the climate is changed. And when you change climate for where you are, it's always a bad thing because you're used to living in that climate. That includes us, includes the animals, includes the plants, includes everything. It's a very balanced system. When you start messing with that balance, you actually don't know what you're going to bring about. You've nailed it. Wherever you live, the weather is going to become weirder and weirder and weirder. Can you please talk a little bit about Climate Brawl, which I find very interesting? I'll tell you how Climate Brawl came about. I, I guess, I don't know, a few years ago I started saying, who are all these nutcases saying all these things that science is crappy on climate change? The science is the science. These people are essentially lying. And what they're using is propaganda to attack the science. So I started out on Twitter like almost everyone else did. I started saying, oh, you say this science is wrong? Well, here's proof from NASA, or here's proof from NOAA, or here's proof from some other scientific organization. And saying that science is real and is legitimate. This is exactly what the climate deniers want. You end up getting into an endless discussion with them because first of all, they start to win as soon as you respond that way because it implies there is actually a debate on the science. There is no debate on the science. You don't debate science on Twitter. It's done in the peer-reviewed literature. Science has already done that. So they already have the edge by suggesting that there is a debate about the science. But they don't care what your answer is. They have a thousand phony references that they can give to challenge it. I made a mistake one day a few years ago going against a very high-profile climate denier. He had like 30,000 followers, uh, very well-known character. And when I engaged with him, all his followers jumped in. Well, this was exhausting. I had over 100,000 engagements in 24 hours with him on Twitter. And they were just coming out of the woodwork. And when I was finished, I said, how come I'm doing this by myself? (laughs) Yeah, I was being overwhelmed. And so I said, okay, this is not the way it's supposed to work. There's more people on Twitter that support the science of climate change than the small vocal handful that are against it. So I said, hey, if somebody gets into trouble with fighting a climate denier, use the hashtag climate brawl. If people say that and they want to help, they can come in and join. I had no idea if it was going to work. I barely knew what hashtags were at the time. And overnight, it was a success. I was amazed. It's been fantastic. I don't know the exact number within Climate Brawl now. It was opened over a year ago. 
I'm sure it's in the thousands. And every day there's engagements by dozens of them and working together to attack climate deniers. It's been fantastic as far as I'm concerned. That's pretty awesome. That was a great idea to leverage Twitter to organize people just around that hashtag. I think you find that people talk about the silent majority a lot, and that's true. And I was surprised it worked. But what I found out is that a lot of people just wanted to be encouraged a little bit to join in. And once they got that encouragement and they knew that other people felt like they did and other people would help them out if they needed it, they were more than happy to join. And there were scientists that joined. There were retired people that joined. There were people that had no scientific background whatsoever. It's just a community. We call it the Friends of Climate Brawl now. And it really are. They're my virtual friends and some of them very close virtual friends. That is excellent. And I can see you're very excited by it, which is wonderful to see. <laughs> All that passion showing through. Can you talk about your journey? How did you get to become Mr. Climate Brawl? It's how you attack the problem. When you're on Twitter, there are no rules, right? No one tells you what to do. It, it evolves. And you, you do it by trial and error to see what works. Now, I explained to you before some of the things I tried. I would show a, a report from NASA or something like that, or IPCC, and say, science is right, you're wrong, and they didn't care. And then I started a series that was called Climate change is science, not opinion. And then what I started to quote was actually the opinions of scientific organizations, some of the most famous ones in the world. And that caught on a little bit, but still didn't catch on that much. My son, who's very heavy into Twitter and has 120,000 followers or something, he got me in this to begin with. He kept on telling me, tell him your opinion. I said, why would I tell them my opinion for it? Nobody cares what my opinion is. They want to see the science of NASA. They want to see the science of the IPCC. So I said, all right. I don't even remember what the comment was, but I just gave my silly opinion over Twitter. Well, everyone seemed to like it. I seemed to get 10 times more likes than I normally did. There was 10 times more retweets. I still don't completely understand it, but people like to hear what you want to say, not just regurgitate facts to them. I learned that the hard way. It took me a couple of years on Twitter before I found that out. And most of the time now, I'm just blabbering about my opinion about things. I was going to say that I think people respond better to stories than to statistics. And I guess you're adding another layer in there, and that is strong opinions make a difference. Exactly. And it was a learning experience for me. Maybe other people know about this, but generally, I think on social media. And really, what are we trying to do? Why am I so passionate about this? It's terrible, by the way. You know, I spend several hours a day on Twitter just attacking climate deniers. And that's because I believe that propaganda is wrong. And people talk about fake news and all this sort of thing. I don't even like the term fake news. It's just old school propaganda that's been around forever. It's a way of manipulating people to do something that if they understood the facts, they would do something different. And so the whole purpose of the climate brawl is to challenge the propaganda of climate deniers. And that's what we do. And the actual impact of that, we've seen be having an impact on the Twitterverse. And hopefully we are making a difference by doing this. Can you talk about some of your setbacks? Well, on Twitter, as I told you earlier on, it was literally exhausting. Whoever thinks Twitter could be exhausting? You know, it doesn't make any sense. It hurts my fingers, actually, and my <laughs> wrist. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You get emotionally wrapped up because some of the things that these people say against you 
are quite nasty. They go for the juggler vein. These are not passive people by any means. Before you know it, you're on this for hours and the tension's just building inside of you as you go along. It used to bother me a lot. I, I could never share on air with you half the tweets I get per day from climate deniers. But now I have a completely different viewpoint on it. The nastier they are, the more insulting they are. I just said, hey, that's just a greater victory for me. And so I started this way of responding to climate deniers because there's the old saying, don't feed the trolls. And the definition of a troll is a little bit vague and people use the term too often, but essentially people that are, are almost stalking you and saying derogatory comments on a regular basis. And the idea that people say, well, don't feed the trolls because once you respond to these people, you are magnifying their presence on Twitter. Now, I have quite a few followers right now, around 39,000. So if I respond to someone on Twitter that has 500 followers, like most climate deniers might have, they're suddenly magnified in the Twitterverse. Well, how do you get around that and still challenge what they're doing? Well, what I do right now is I'll take a screenshot of their insulting tweet. And then I'll do a tweet where I add the screenshot and saying, here is evidence that this is proof that climate denial is a lost cause. And I'm actually using their tweet as a demonstration of that. And so that's one of the ways I've adjusted the tactics, let's say, on Twitter to be more effective of stopping climate denial. As far as major setbacks are concerned, that is all political. It doesn't matter where you're looking at in the world, not enough is being done about climate change. And the greatest setback of all, as we discussed before, is Donald Trump. For whole power reasons, I'm focused more on the climate change side. People have lots of reasons for that. But it's just horrible what's happened on the climate change side because of him being president. You talked about your method of dealing with the trolls. Can you talk about other successes that you've had? What are you most proud of? I'm most proud of, not for starting Climate Brawl, but how it seems to be important to at least a small group of people. I don't know what that number is, but these people are passionate about this. We support each other. You know, we pat each other on the back. People want that. You know, it's one thing if you're fighting, and this is really a virtual fight that's going on to attack the climate deniers. I'll attack someone or someone else attack and I'll respond or they'll respond. They say, oh, that's a real good job. I'm really glad you did that. Or thank you for doing that. You have no idea how good that makes you feel. And that happens a lot now within the Friends of Climate Brawl. We're doing that a lot. And you may look at this and say, yeah, yeah, you're playing, you're almost playing games. This is Twitter. This is all a virtual discussion. I can tell you it's not. Social media has become an unbelievably powerful, powerful force. If you look how elections are being turned by social media, by bots and trolls, by propaganda, Donald Trump lives and dies by his Twitter feed. And it's scary. It shouldn't be. This should be the stupidest thing in the world, what I'm doing. But I really believe it's important because now social media platforms such as Twitter now have an unbelievable power to influence the realities in this world, including climate change. I understand why it seems like it's silly, but on the other hand, it seems to influence everything. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people whose entire moods for days, it's affected by what they read in Twitter. It 
really affects people a lot. So it's not a game. You see that a lot too, if you follow what the trending topics of the day are. It's just amazing how many people are involved in this sort of thing. It's everything from high profile stars and politicians. It literally affects everyone in the world. It's quite amazing. Just go back to the propaganda situation for a minute. One thing has driven me to put a stop to it. In history, propaganda repeated again and again and again becomes the truth if it's not challenged. And there is time in history that has just been terrible how this has happened. And that is the problem here. And that's what Donald Trump does all the time. He'll repeat the same thing over and over and over again. And more and more the people start to believe it. It starts off at a fringe that will do it. And I'll give you a recent example. He literally created Antifa a conspiracy that suddenly they were responsible for all this civil disorder that was overtaking America. And the more and more he repeated, the more and more it got carried away. Even includes a poor 75-year-old guy who is seriously injured and had the, I won't use the term, that, oh, here is an Antifa conspirator that was really, he deserved what he got from the police officers that he had interfered with. Do you want to talk about your vision for the future? Where do you see the world 20, 30, 40 years from now? I believe that we will have climate change under control. Do you want to expand on that? <laughs> no. Okay. You almost have to believe that. No, I, I really do. We're not there yet. We're making slow progress, but it's not nearly enough. But I believe that there is a momentum growing, just like everything else. It's almost like the COVID crisis. You know, we were supposed to have lockdown and social distancing. And gee whiz, those cases keep on going up. They're going up. They're going up. This isn't working. And then suddenly, oh, look, it flattened out. Oh, look, it's starting to go down. And I believe the same thing will happen with climate change. There is enough good people out there that understand the seriousness that's going ahead, and you start seeing it for yourself. I think people, and you remember, we can't blame anyone else, okay? I do not blame someone like Donald Trump for this. We are responsible for what happens in our countries. So it's up to us to make sure we act properly to make sure this is stopped. Can you talk about how the pandemic is changing your vision of where climate change is going? Maybe I'm being a little bit too hard. I think a year or two from now, there won't be any impact. COVID will impact parts of society. That I agree with. And uh, I've seen lots of articles there. And, and if it helped with climate change, that would be great. I wouldn't be surprised, though, that really on the climate change issue, there was very little impact, except maybe a more global view that these disasters can strike the world and maybe that we should take climate change more seriously. If all it does is that, that would be fantastic because that's the sort of thing we need now. We need this push to get society going. And that's what, why Greta Thunberg, for example, is such a fantastic advocate. She shoves the world forward easily and slowly, and people pay attention to that. Do you have anything else you want to say? Certainly follow me on Twitter, if you're into Twitter at all, at Gerald Kootenay. It's very simple. It's just my name. Look at the hashtag Climate Brawl. Join in and have some fun for us. I always tell people to join Climate Brawl, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to know anything about the science. We're defending what science represents, not what the science is. And so if people have any inkling that they want to help on climate change, this is a real simple way of doing it. 
you don't even have to challenge a climate denier. Just like and retweet people that do. That's all you have to do in this sort of thing. Hey, I already joined. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. Gerald turns tweeter liars into Twitter criers with his climate ban brawl crew. He defeats climate deniers. <laughs> he doesn't think COVID will be a permanent climate swerve, but he appreciates the concept of flattening the curve. Together, we all can support and stand tall, surpassing Kyoto Protocol by joining hashtag climate brawl. He takes <laughs> screenshots of deniers to defeat their goals, to beat back what they say, but not help internet trolls against fake climate news. We've got to take a stand, uh, Twitter group, to keep facts from coming from propaganda. He's into <laughs> bioeconomy and renewable energy. Thank you, thank you, Gerald Kootenay. Lee, you're very creative, but don't, don't quit your day job, okay? <laughs> I already did, so I can't go back. <laughs> Gerald has created an exciting movement on Twitter with hashtag climate brawl. Personally, I've had a number of experiences where someone I was connected to posted information that I knew to be false. Each time, I spent time I didn't have to track down counter arguments only to have them make another untrue argument and then another. I know it was time that I did have and I feel that I have to have to set the record straight, but it was very time consuming. It's exciting to have Gerald's Climate Brawl community to help me put the facts forward and to join my voice. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at www.crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Gerald's Climate Brawl Twitter movement is easy to join and participate in, raises the voices of all climate champions to a chorus, makes climate change mitigation fun, and multiplies the good we can all do in the world. Organizing the silent majority and unifying our message makes a critical difference in keeping propaganda from becoming fact and in mitigating climate change. Mm -hmm.